BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Fact. Businesses with women of color and Black female CEOs get less than 1% of all VC funding. And when you consider that $85 billion of VC funding was raised in 2017, the glaring inequality becomes even more clear. However, Ariane Simone is breaking the VC ceiling, stacking the odds back in her favor and putting the dollars into the businesses who need it most with the Fearless Fund. In partnership with actress and entrepreneur Keisha Knight-Pulliam, the $5 million fund invests exclusively in early stage businesses run by women of color. And when you consider that women of color account for 89%, that's 1,625 of new businesses open every day over the past year, Ariane certainly has her work cut out for her. In fact, she gets thousands of pitches, but she wouldn't have it any other way. The serial entrepreneur knows a thing or two about hard work. After being laid off from her job after graduating college, Ariane went to living in her apartment out of her car for almost a year. She eventually went on to build a successful PR and marketing firm from the ground up where she promoted blockbuster films such as 007, Quantum Solace, and worked with major companies from Sony Pictures to Walt Disney Company. And let's not forget her long list of celebrity clients, including Lil Wayne and Neo. Yep, Arian is a serious goal-getter. I can't wait to dive into her incredible career for this episode of Work Party, so keep listening to hear more from this fearless entrepreneur on how she built multiple companies from scratch how she's tackling inequality in the VC world, and how women of color can get access to capital. So let's get right into it. Well, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So it's safe to say you're a serial entrepreneur, and I want to get into that. But let's start at the very beginning. I want to know everything about your story because it's so inspiring. You know, you say it's your homeless to Hollywood story. So tell us where you started, how you got to your beginning. Tell us everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the homeless to Hollywood story, 
that's definitely a story I didn't plan on even living out or knowing that, know that would even happen to me. I grew up middle class in Detroit, Michigan. I attended Florida a University for college. And after college, I jetted off to Los Angeles. And while I was in Los Angeles, I had a job. I was doing product placement for Nelly's Apple Bottoms. Yes, those Apple Bottom jeans, boots with the fur, that company. And <laughs> while I was there, I placed product on Jessica Simpson, on Tyra Banks, even placed it on Oprah Winfrey. And all of a sudden, the president wanted to meet with me. And I thought, well, of course. So I go in there and they let me know very kindly that they had to let me go because the company was being sold. Mm. So I was devastated. Like, is this really happening? Company's being sold. But I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to figure this out. Put on my big girl panties and just keep it pushing. Well, over time, I just ran out of cash as I was applying for other jobs and just looking for other opportunities. And I got a notice on my apartment door. I was 23 at the time and it said pay rent or quit. And I was like, well, I guess I have to quit because I don't have anything else to give these people. And my parents were in a divorce case at the time and they didn't have any cash to send to me. So my mother's girlfriend put my furniture and belongings in storage and I literally moved from my apartment to my car. And I was without a place to stay for about seven months. And during that time, I was on welfare, food stamps, general relief, just trying to figure out life. I applied for 153 jobs. Nobody hired me. I was looking for temp work. I was looking for anything to just pretty much get a career going. And somebody sought me out from the work they did see that I you know, contributed at Apple Bottoms. Someone sought me out to do some PR and marketing work. And I had never worked in that field before, but hey, had they called me to paint the walls, I would have painted the walls. Had they called me to, you know, clean the toilets, I would clean the toilets. It was whatever they were calling for that was an opportunity. I was willing to engage and deliver and create income. And that just happens to be what they called me for. And in two weeks, I looked up because they had referred me to somebody who had referred me to somebody who referred me to somebody. And I had like five to seven clients. In two weeks, and I ended up building a PR and marketing company from the ground up. Now, Jacqueline, that's like the cliff notes to yes, I'm sure. <laughs> like all types of craziness in between, sneaking into BET awards and participating in a big booty contest for a thousand dollars. I came in second place. I really should have came in first. But anywho, <laughs> there's like all types of wild stories in between because I honestly just believe in the principle of dancing in the rain. That despite situation or circumstance, that you have the right to have fun. And I live by that. I choose to have fun on any given day. And I love that about you. I think you have a, a certain persistence, but passion about what you do, which makes you so likable. And so like, I want to work with you because your energy is infectious. And I think that's a, a huge part of being an entrepreneur is you have to, you know, I always say be a pleasure to work with, but people want to be around people who have that vibe, who have that energy. So cut to you build this successful PR and marketing firm from the ground up, which is amazing. But how did you transition from I, I applied to 153 jobs I didn't get to. I'm the CEO and founder of this company. And, and what were some of the lessons that you learned? Did you self-fund that company? Did you raise money? Oh my gosh, completely bootstrapped. I didn't even realize I had a company. So I had a company in college where I was a boutique owner in a mall-based retail store where I did raise capital for that business. 
I don't know that I intended on having another business. Like I left entrepreneurship to go get a job and I ended up right back into entrepreneurship. And I didn't raise capital for this business at all. Literally in those two weeks, I just started having clients. And as time went on, I continued to have clients and I continued to have clients. And it was completely bootstrapped, completely from beginning to end. It was never... It was, I didn't go into it knowing I was going to have a business. I realized two weeks in, I had a business when I had to make a call on behalf of a client. And they're like, where are you calling from? And I knew I couldn't say my name. (laughs) So I had to say a business name at the time. And that's when I realized, oh, Arian, you have a business. You're going to have to get incorporated. You have to treat it as such, which I knew what to do. But I was like, oh, I'm back here again in entrepreneurship. So that's pretty much how that happened of going from, of course, you know, being on food stamps and welfare to now you're running a business. So it was completely evolved on its own and completely, yes, self-funded. And, and not just the business. I mean, you became one of Hollywood's best known publicists. You were promoting movies, you know, with Robert De Niro, Bradley Cooper, Will Smith, like rubbing shoulders with the Idris Elba, Whitney Houston, just to name a few. Like, what? How, girl, how? Tell us the secrets of, you know, how did, did you ever feel, like, do you believe in the fake until you make it? Um, or do you subscribe to a different philosophy? Okay. I wouldn't say fake it till you make it, but I do believe that you act as if something's already done. Yes. And what I mean by that is by no means that I ever think that I never thought I was faking anything. When the first movie opportunity that came and knocked on my door was Coach Carter, and he found me sleep on the office floor. I was sleeping in the office before I even got an apartment. And he said, oh, my gosh, what are you doing in here? And I said, I'm building an empire. (laughs) And in my mind, Jacqueline, I thought, like, I was convinced. You couldn't tell me either or. So that's why I said, I don't know if I would call it fake it till you make it, because I didn't think I was faking anything. I was just like, this is what I'm doing. And whether it's manifested fully yet or not, I believe that it's already here. And that was just, that is something that I do believe that people should operate in. And that is something that I definitely still believe in to this day. So I would say a lot of those characteristics and attributes definitely contributed towards my success. I believe in a lot of different principles that I think will contribute towards success. And I definitely, as my current company is called Fearless, I believe in operating outside of any fears or limitations. So when you go forth after your dreams with that type of posture, things happen for you. They just do. Yeah, I, I love that. One of my business partners in, in Create and Cultivate and sort of a mentor to me said once, like, make bold moves. Um, and I always thought that was such good advice because, I mean, it feels, of course, terrifying. And there's obviously things that will go right or wrong. But I do think being bold in what you do is amazing. Your business is more than the goods you sell or the services you provide. It's the heart of the economy, which is why I'm teaming up with MasterCard to support entrepreneurs by sharing my tips and advice to help their local businesses, like how female BIPOC entrepreneurs can get access to capital. According to a study of over 350 startups, Mass Challenge and BCG determined that female-founded businesses deliver higher revenue but women are still underfunded, particularly women of color. Data provided by PitchBook, a venture capital database, indicated that out of $85 billion in venture capital funding in 2017, only 2.2% went to female founders. And according to Digital Undivided's biennial Project Diane study, 
women of color get less than 1% of total venture capital funding every year since 2009. Considering these stats, what can BIPOC female entrepreneurs do to access the funding necessary to propel their business forward? The best starting point is research. Research capital and how it works and research the different categories of funding. Understand the topic so deeply that you could teach a class on it. And thanks to the internet, you can access all of this information for free. Once you understand the fundamentals, familiarize yourself with the key players in the investment landscape. Today's work party guest, Arian Simone, is a prime example of one of these important figures. She's devoted her career to addressing inequality in the VC industry by starting a fund that invests exclusively in women of color-owned businesses. For more tools and resources, go to mastercard.us slash mainstreetrecovery. That's mastercard.us slash mainstreetrecovery. And together, we can start something priceless. Okay, so you mentioned Fearless Fund. So can you tell us about Fearless Fund and how that started? That's actually the birth of a promise I made to myself when I was 21, when I had when I did raise capital and I had my clothing store in the mall. And prior to the grand opening, like, I don't even know who told me as a college student that I was supposed to have a deck and go pitch. And entrepreneurship wasn't even popular then. It was actually somewhat shunned upon. They were like, this is not sexy. You need to go get a job. And I ran around and I raised capital and I presented to people and banks and every, anybody I could reach. And I remember sitting on the floor, literally, before we opened up. And I said, Arian, one day you're going to be the investor that you're looking for. And I knew I always wanted to be a business investor. Now, when I made that promise to myself, I had no clue what the venture capital industry was or anything of that nature. I just knew what it was like to raise capital. And I said, hey, I'm about to be on the other side of the table one day. I want to be able to empower and invest and receive a return for, for what I'm doing. So time went on. Like I said, we've had a, we had a PR marketing company for a good, good stretch service, Sony Pictures, Universal, Walt Disney on, you know, a lot of their major films. And I started to get that itch. And I remembered the promise that I made to myself. And by then, of course, I'm fully well aware of what the venture capital industry is and started to meet people in the industry and the network. And I said, you know what, I'm going after this and I'm going to help out women who, who look like me. I said, I'm going to invest in women of color businesses and in early stage, pre-seed, seed, series A, people who are looking to get, you know, their businesses off the ground to grow and scale at a rapid rate. I said, I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And when I started to just study the statistics, I was just like, whoa, I wasn't even aware of the disparities. Mind you, I made this promise to myself at 21. I had no clue that women were only receiving about 2.8% of venture funds, let alone women of color. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, I'm truly solving a serious, serious problem Mm -hmm. that needs some quick fixing here. And that's pretty much how all of that started. Yeah. I mean, just a stat here, women of color account for 89% of new business opened every day over the past year. And black women owned businesses represent the highest rate of growth. But when it comes to VC, black women are only getting a sliver of the multi-billion dollar pie. Um, So why do you think there's so much inequality in venture capital, knowing that Black women are building these incredible companies? You know, why is it so hard to get money in the hands of the women who need it? Well, part of it is on the other side, the investor side. It's 80% white male. 
And people are going to, of course, invest in what's within their networks. So being in this space, we definitely have exclusive access to a class of entrepreneurs that most probably don't see or have. But that's just pretty much what it is. It's dominated by white men. That's just as simple as as can be. So I knew that there was a lack of diverse investments, but that was because there was a lack of diverse investors. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to get on the other side of things and also bring another class of investors along with me to say, hey, you guys, you need to check this out. This is what we're doing and we're making history. So what's been the most rewarding part of launching Fearless Fund and what has been the most challenging? And, you know, walk us through a little bit, you know, for those that might not understand, you know, what is a fund? Like, how does it work? What's the breakdown? Got you. A venture capital fund invests in startup businesses. That's, I guess we would say, the most elementary way to look at it. It's an investment vehicle. People are not donating, they're investing. They're looking for a return on their investment. A fund cycle is an average of 10 years, some are seven. And within that range, they're looking to see what companies will exit during a seven, well, I would say it used to be three to five years. Now it's more like seven to 10, which are going to exit during the time of the fund cycle. So of course, everybody has their eyes on the hot picks. So that's, I guess you would say, an elementary understanding of what the investment vehicle is for. How it's broken down is there's an 80-20 carry. 80% are the limited partners. Those are all the entities and all of the people who have invested into the fund. And the other 20% of the carry, that's made up by the general partnership. These are the people who are running the fund day to day. After the fund is profitable, the 80% receives their return on investments. And then after whatever percent, however you structured your paperwork, the 20% receives their return on their investments. And that's pretty much, uh, yeah, I would say from an elementary standpoint, how to break it down. Mm -hmm. So it's like really ABC. Now, there's also other different layers in there, but that would give you like some ground, just some ground floor understanding. In addition to that, you asked me what would be the most rewarding and the biggest obstacle. So the most rewarding is the fact that we are making history. We didn't set out to be the first woman of color fund that was built by us for us. We didn't find that out until the media told us. I was like, oh, okay. oh my gosh. Like I had no clue. So there are other women of color in the venture space. Their thesis is just broader. You know, they're investing in other demographics as well, too. Now, so that I would say is the most rewarding. And also just to be able to see, I guess we'll say the fruits of the investments. And what I mean by that is when you're able just to say, or you, we get thousands of applications. That's first and foremost. So that would somewhat go on to the obstacle side, I guess you would say as well, too. But when we're able to see, oh, my gosh, we we're able to invest our average check sizes in six figures. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is really about to do something for this person's business of where they're at. And then you see where they invest your funds. I don't know the whole I'm in love with the whole process. I'm like somewhat obsessed. So I would say that's rewarding as well, too. Now, the biggest obstacle would be that the market is so underserved as far as women of color are concerned, especially black women, that like our last investment, these women are already in seven figures, you know, like they're and I mean, deep, probably headed to eight and like in, by tomorrow. Wow. Like It's like our investment criteria is only one hundred thousand for annual revenue. But the people we're looking at 
they're way, way past that because the market is just that underserved. So I would say that's definitely an obstacle. Mm. Another obstacle, of course, is just raising wild black. It's no joke. It takes us about 300 meetings just to get to $10 million. And then we see definitely, you know, the white male counterparts, they're going to take 20 meetings like, oh, I just raised 30 million. Mm. I'm like, oh, how cute. (laughs) I'm like, how cute. Like, yeah. and that, ha- that happens. Like, I'm, I have, you know, I'll, I'll meet people or friends and, they, and I'm like, how did you just do that? I'm like, do you know, we've been in diligence with some people for, feels like almost a year. Like, are you kidding me? So, wow. yeah, I would say that would probably definitely be the biggest obstacle. I think right now, though, is a very unique time, though, with so much attention on the Black Lives Matters movement, people are starting to really see the disparities. Good. And well, I'm, think- I'm hoping... Yeah, that'll see a shift longer term as well. Sorry, continue. Oh, no, I, I definitely do too. Because I'm like, we bust our, excuse my French, but our asses. <laughs> I'm like, I hope so too. But we work so hard. Um, but yeah, I definitely, and honestly, if the only color that people were looking at were green, it's a good investment. I'm not like asking for charity. Like it's a legit good investment. Like these women are kicking butt, literally. So I would definitely say, you know, for those who are listening that um, are investors, definitely take a look. Take a look to see what's out there in in the women of color founding space. It's it's hot. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, if the only color you're looking at is green is like a genius quote. So true. Like the financials are there. They're making money. Like Mm -hmm. invest in and just invest in a business that's making money. That's all we're asking. Um, I think that I think that's awesome. So obviously, like you know, to your point, it's, it's a hugely male dominated world in venture capital. Um, so when it comes to negotiating these big deals and talking about money, is that a skill that comes naturally to you? Or how did you develop that skill? Because I think a lot of women struggle, you know, maybe they have a booming business and they feel really confident in their business. But when it comes to talking about the numbers, they clam up, they choke up, they don't know how to talk about it confidently. So, so what advice do you have for women to, when it comes to talking about money? One, you, you need to talk about it more often often so that it is not taboo. I don't know where it came from that. It, it, it is somewhat taboo because you're right about that. But I think the more you have the money discussions, the more it becomes like natural conversation. So that's what I would say as far as somebody needing to get over that obstacle. For me, yes, discussing money, it's, it's never been, a, I would say, a hindrance by any means. I've, I have no problems discussing money. But I would definitely encourage anybody that's in that position where they're scared to like negotiate their salary. They're scared to, you know, have certain requests for their businesses. Start always having money discussions just more often, even if it's with your girlfriend saying, hey, what was your raise last quarter? Or, hey, what was your bonus? This is not like most of this stuff is public information anyway. So it's just like have the discussions So therefore, you can feel more comfortable in spaces where you are going to have to negotiate. And a lot of negotiations just honestly comes from more of a self-worth standpoint. When you feel worthy of something, you just don't compromise. If I feel worthy of eating ice cream, I'm going to eat my ice cream. I just may go (laughs) run a a mile afterwards to work it off. But when you feel worthy of something, you're not going to compromise. So that may be a deeper rooted thing that I would tell people to work on. It's more so just focus on your Mm. self-worth. Because like I say, if you do, you feel like you deserve something, you know, you're going to, you're going to act accordingly. You're definitely going to act accordingly. 
And it was something else you asked. No, no, that was amazing. And I mean, so let's get right into your new book, Fearless Money Mindset. So tell us a little bit about the book and can you talk to us through the seven principles and how it transforms our relationship with money? Yes, the book, The Fearless Money Mindset is built off of one principle and it's that people have more fear in being broke than they do faith in having abundance. And the reason why is that the way you're wired, you have to consciously put more energy into your positive bias because the way the mind is constructed, because we were here to survive and not necessarily, you know, how should I put it? In earlier years, we may have been fearful of animals coming after us or danger. You had to have survival skills. Well, that's not the case anymore. So, so often your mind can lean towards your negative bias and you need to make sure that you're self-aware that you have a positive and negative bias going on and that you lean towards the positive bias as it pertains to anything. So you want to put your energy into where you desire to see a result. You don't desire to see a result in being broke at all. So you don't need to put your energy there. You want to put your energy into you having an abundant life. And that's what the book is about. It covers seven principles. The belief principle is the first principle, which is truly about what are you going to believe? Because at the end of the day, you're going to adopt a belief in something and whatever that is, it needs to support whatever it is that you're desiring in your life. That's first and foremost, your belief system. Second is the thought principle. We have thoughts that enter our mind all the time. You want to be very self-aware that you are always having positive thoughts. Now, negative thoughts come about, but you also need to redirect them when they do. So you need to be mindful about when that happens. You also need to be mindful about what you're visualizing, what you're taking in, what you're scrolling on social media, because what you visualize starts to materialize. So the second principle is all about your consciousness of your thoughts. The third principle is the speech principle. And you want to make sure that you're speaking everything that's in alignment with the things that you desire to happen. You don't want to ever speak anything that's against what you're desiring to happen. The fourth principle is the action principle. At the end of the day, all of these great beliefs and these thoughts and this speaking, <laughs> you still have to put in some work. Now, I don't believe in the principle of overworking, but you're going to have to set some goals. You're going to have to get organized. You're going to have to execute on a plan. And the fifth principle is the sewing principle. I'm a very generous person. And I believe wholeheartedly that what you put out into the world and into the universe comes back to you. So you also want to be mindful of where your gifts are going. Are you supporting different charities? Are you giving to great causes? You want to make sure that you're giving to some extent because it's going to come back into you as well too. And the sixth principle is the relationship principle. And the subtitle of it says that relationships are currency. At the end of the day, currency is money and it's an exchange and you need to be in the flow. And to be in the flow, you need to have great relationships where the money is circulating. So you want to make sure that you guard your relationships, that you foster your relationships, and that you nurture your relationships. And the seventh principle is the stewardship principle, which I had to learn by living life and bumping my head. But it's the discipline that you need in order to maintain, grow, and invest your money. And that is a muscle. And it is something that I continue to have to do because you have to always work that muscle 
as far as saving, investing, and planning for your future and being just a great steward over all the things you've been given. So those are the seven principles. There's also like a financial assessment to see where you're at mentally as far as how you handle money and and how you even view it and your relationship with it. The whole book is designed to give you a shift to go from lack to thinking more than enough. And the reason why it's not set upon, oh, this book is for somebody who wants to make a billion dollars. No, it's not about making a billion dollars. It's about living your best and highest version of yourself, going after your best life. It can be somebody who has an eight-figure salary that would still get something of this and say, you know what? There's still more for me to reach. Am Am I operating at my best and highest self? And it's holistic. It's not just about in your finances. There's no good of you having achievement and you don't have any fulfillment in life. You're just achieving things, but you're not fulfilled. No, you should be abundant in all areas of your life. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm going to cry every, I, I, you are just so amazing. You're such a wealth of information. Like, and I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, financial health and wellness is something that people don't often talk about. It's just financials, the hard numbers. How do we get there? And I think you're really talking about something holistic. So everyone needs to go out and buy that book a hundred percent. So, okay. So you're getting so many, you said thousands of pitches you're getting obviously all the time. I'm sure a ton more, um, each and every day, but what are the things that stand out to you in a pitch deck? Like what gets your attention? What makes you excited to kind of take it a step further? I will say this. And honestly, this is for a lot of investors. I'm noticing that it, at the end of the day, don't get me wrong. You need a great business model. You need proof of concept. You need product market fit. You need, you need all like the core basic things, but there are, there are two things that will always stand out. Your brand story and your numbers. That's just hands down. When somebody has a compelling brand story, you know, you have something to sell. When somebody has great numbers to support the brand story, you know, you have something that can, you know, produce. So I would say those would probably be the two things. And right now, these compelling brand stories are, I mean, they're turning into almost like social media commercials. Everybody is just following the journey. They're rooting for you. They want to see you in. But I would say those, those two things would be the two things that I would say yep. probably stick out the most when people are reviewing things. And it's not just myself. I have amazing co-founders, Keisha Knight-Pulliam and Iana Parsons, who also run the fund with me. But yeah, I would say those two things. Mm-hmm. And so you have this incredible mentorship program. So it's, it's a lot more than an investment for you. You oftentimes match founders with mentors, obviously amplifying their business. Can you more about the program, how it works and why mentorship is such a key part of the Fearless offering? Oh my gosh. Mentorship. <laughs> I would definitely say in women of color, there were three things we saw that were lacking in the space. It was access to capital, networks, and mentorship. And people really needed to be paired with somebody who's been there before, who can handhold and walk them through different things. And mind you, it's not like these people need to be babysat. They are self-starters. They're running businesses and successful ones at that. But truly being paired with somebody who's been there before will always give you the insight and wisdom to where you don't have to repeat somebody else's mistakes. They're like, hey, I tried that. You may want to try it doing it this way. So I'm just a very big advocate for mentorship in all areas of life, even outside of entrepreneurship. I'm a a very big advocate of mentors and sponsors and people who can open doors for you and show you the way and 
just great counsel overall. So yes, mentorships, um, corporate partners, a lot of the things that we wanted to make sure that people had some type of, I don't want to, well, I would still use this word, some type of incubation. It's not an incubator by any means or an accelerator, but you want them to have some type of insulation, mm-hmm. some type of support to make sure that they're set up for success. This was not about just investing capital in people. It's about, no, we're invested in your full success. We want to make sure that you have all of the things that you need, even outside of capital in order to succeed in your space. Yes. And I think that's also been a huge issue in, in venture capital is the fact that you know, these investors have been giving so much money to these, to these women that they're investing in. And, um, also they're like, here, go do. And it's like, oh, okay. I have to go 10 X my, my return now for you, but I have no support. I have no men. It's a human approach to, to venture capital, which I think is so important. So what's next for you? You know, obviously you have a million different ventures going on. You got your book out, you obviously have fun. Um, you know, what, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Growing the fund, honestly. That's just where a lot of my focus is because I know there's just so much to do to truly make an impact in this space. It's just so much more is needed. So I'm definitely in this to make sure that we continue just to grow and just hone in and stay focused on that. And yeah, like I said, it was simple answer. It was a simple answer, but that's it. <laughs> Hey, I mean, you're doing a lot. So I think, I think that's absolutely fine. Um, so we're going to end with some rapid fire sentence finishers. You ready? Oh gosh, go ahead. Okay. The best advice I've ever received. The best advice I've ever received. Honestly, I would probably say is patience. I don't know if I received it, but Mm -hmm. I learned it. Um, my biggest career crush. My biggest career crush. Her name is Janice Bryant Howroyd. She's the first Black woman to ever run a billion-dollar business before Oprah. Ah, she's amazing. Um, Okay, the last time I felt fear. The last time I felt fear was probably today. (laughs) (laughs) You just feel it and keep moving. You have to dismiss it and just keep going. Oh, my gosh. So true. Okay, and my success mantra is? Hmm. My oh gosh, I have like so many. So this this is all, okay. I'll just go with a simple one of my simple ones. My success mantra is seize the moment. Thank you so much for your time. You're incredible. And tell everyone where they can find you online and where they can buy your book. Oh, thank you so much, Jacqueline. Everybody can find me on social media. I'm at Arian Simone. The fund is at fearless.fund. And everyone can go get the fearless money mindset on Amazon. Yay! Thank you so much. Thank you. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com. 
so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.